Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. In today's message, we'll take a look at the end times through the eyes of the New Testament prophets and Jesus as we ask the question, who is the Antichrist? Enjoy the message. What's interesting is I wrote sections of this message on the Antichrist while flying home. It was kind of odd. I have my laptop open, the, you know, the lights are down so everybody can see my, what I'm writing. And I'm writing, who is the Antichrist? And so, of course, it beckons some Interesting stares at that. Who is this crazy person on this flight? You know, what is he writing about? And so I could have had some fun with that, but I, I didn't. I, I, I stayed serious. But uh, anyway, as I was writing, I happened to notice what flight we were on. Okay, I'm writing about the Antichrist. You want to take a guess what flight I was on? I was on American Airlines flight 8666. You can't make that up, right? So I'm on flight 8666 writing about the Antichrist and then turbulence, all right? So I'm realizing, okay, this is either going to be really awesome or I won't be here today to talk about it, all right? Well, I'm here, okay, so, but uh, who would have thought that uh, that, that could have happened? Anyway, that was either a sign from the Lord or a sign of doom, but here I am, so it's, it was all good. All right, but with the Antichrist, there is a lot of confusion, all right? It's kind of one of those weird things. I can't think back in my whole lifetime hearing a message just about the Antichrist, right? But yet people talk about it. There's fringe, weird uh, teachings about it. People get led astray with it. So, hey, you know what? If we're going to talk about the signs of the times, let's talk about it, all right? So we are going to talk about the Antichrist. And um, for the last week and a half, uh, a team from Kenosha City Church uh, went to Europe. Uh, we'll talk more about this in two weeks when we give you a, a missions report. We're, we're in an initiative right now of launching or connecting with, discovering uh, gospel-advancing leaders to work together uh, in Europe. It's the 10 in 10 initiative, and it was very, very successful this year. The Lord just opened up divine doors uh, each country that we went on, it was just God's favor, something that we couldn't have planned. And so we'll talk more about that in a couple weeks. Uh, basically, it's 10 and 10. Right now, we're 4 and 2, all right? It was a home run every country we went into, all right? Uh, one of the countries we went into was Germany. And Germany was a, another huge God story that we'll unpack further in a, in a couple weeks. Uh, but uh, we, we had this contact, a really, really random contact uh, Don Olding, who is our, our, our missions partner, who, was, uh, who we flew up and assisted us in, in discovering these different gospel-advancing leaders, he met this guy in D.C. at a Panera Bread randomly, all right? He saw a book, a Dietrich Bonhoeffer book that he was reading, and this guy's like, excuse me, what do you do? And Don explained to him, explained his ministry, and the guy's like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to start supporting you. So he started supporting Don, and then Don started talking about the initiative here at Kenosha City Church of 10 and 10 to this guy. And this guy's like, oh, I know somebody that needs encouragement and might be interested. He's in Germany. So when we get to Germany, here's this random guy to Panera Bread that started supporting Don saying, go see this guy. And so there you go. So after a number of different things that didn't work out, uh, the train tickets weren't working out, or uh, the, the, the van that we rented wasn't there, we about pulled the plug on it about meeting, the, meeting this one person. The reason why we're in Germany is this random person. We're told by a random guy in Panera Bread in Washington, D.C. to go visit. Well, this guy phoned us up and said, you know what, I'll come to you. He was an hour and a half out. I'll drive into Munich. Get this. He was getting married the next day. He was getting married the next day. He said, I'm going to bring my fiance. We'll meet for dinner. 
So we said, okay, and we were, we were recommended this, this dinner, uh, this dining hall to go eat at, and so we're like, all right, uh, meet us at this place. Uh, I, I don't remember the name of it. Go meet us in this place, and, and, and we'll begin to explain everything. And again, I'll save the rest of this story uh, for, um, for a couple weeks from now. But basically, we realized this guy was hungry as he's getting ready to plant churches in Germany. He's hungry for fellowship, so much so on the eve of his wedding, they came and met with people that randomly were here because of a guy in Panera Bread told us to go here. And I want you to know, he's in. He wants to be trained, he wants to advance the gospel, we're gonna see Germany one for Jesus Christ where the average attendance of most churches are about 20. And as we began to conspire in this dining hall, I didn't know this before we ate here, but this dining hall in Munich, Germany happened to be a dining hall, hopefully we won't get struck here, a dining hall that Adolf Hitler gave his first speeches. Didn't know that. The evil that came out of that dining hall just prior to World War II, they call it the, the, I think they call it like the, the beer rebellion or something. The evil that came out of that dining hall, I just got shivers at night realizing a gospel conspiracy is coming out of this building. The gospel, a random Panera Bread contact to get a random contact in Germany who he's coming on the, the eve of his wedding to say, I want to be trained to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll explain more of that. There's more to that story. What I want you to know is this, is the spread of Jesus Christ in a very post-Christian nation. It gives me shivers thinking about it. In fact, here's, there's the picture of us. This is the dining hall. Germany is a country where today they are ashamed of their World War II past. They rarely fly their flags in the country. And it's because of Hitler's murderous leading just after World War I and during World War II. You know, when he was alive, many people during that time, as he was conquering Europe, many people during that time thought maybe he's the Antichrist. Maybe he's the one that's going to usher in the end. Many people thought that. But as World War II was won and as Reconstruction began across Europe, as history moved on from his death, uh, and they realized he wasn't the Antichrist. Make no mistake, he was anti to Christ, but he wasn't the Antichrist. So what is the Antichrist? Many people have been called it, but there will only be one. There will be many people that will walk in the spirit of the Antichrist, but there will only be one Antichrist. So many people today, they, uh, they like to speculate. As Brandon said, I'm not going to go conspiracy, but people can speculate. You know, some people are like, oh, it's Kim Jong-un, right? Uh, it, it's some of the tyrants out there. Or, or, or it's, 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 uh, it's people from Hollywood. Taylor Swift, she's the Antichrist, right? <laughs> or people say people from Silicon Valley or social media people, uh, maybe like Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook or, or definitely not YouTube. You're broadcasting this right now. May you live forever, YouTube, okay? So anyway... The Antichrist is a future worldwide leader that will unify and deceive the world by direct satanic power. There will be many small letter A Antichrist living in the spirit of opposing Christ, but there will only be one end time climatic world leader that will be empowered by Satan that the Bible describes as the Antichrist. He will be against all things of Jesus and he will demand full allegiance in worship. Like I said, today there is a spirit of the Antichrist, or has been since 
Christ uh, ascended back into heaven. There's been a spirit that opposes the things of Christ. We know this. The power of the prince of the air, Satan, who uh, runs wild and tries to deceive many and all. Anything that stands opposed to the things of God would be antichrist by definition. But there's only one, the antichrist. So as followers of Christ, we have a daily choice. What or who will we follow? What or who will we follow? Will we follow Jesus Christ? Will he be Jesus as Lord, Jesus as leader in our life? Will we give him the full surrender of our hearts? Or will we follow our own ways, our own thinking? Will we, will we flow with the cultural ways that stand opposed to Christ? The main idea this morning as we unpack the Antichrist is, who will you follow? Who will you follow? Now, I know that the church answer is, well, Jesus, right? Jesus, right? <laughs> Sunday school answer, right? But God wants our whole heart. Who will you follow? Or what are you following? The last few weeks we've been talking about when Christ will come back. When will he come back? We, we don't know the exact time, but he is coming back. And he can come back at any moment. And that's important to understand. As I unpack things this morning, I'm going to be coming from a pre-tribulational perspective. I realize there are people in the seats here that might have slightly different perspectives of when Christ could come back. That is okay. As long as we all agree that Jesus is real, he really resurrected, he really ascended into heaven, he's really coming back, and he can come back at any moment, and there's no way other than Jesus. Amen? If we can agree on those things, oh, let's just give a, let's, let's give a, um, uh, a, a side comment here. And the Bible's the word of God, and that is where we get our truth. Amen? All right? If we can agree on that, I'm telling you, then we can, we can talk about some of the things that, that have puzzled theologians for years. Now, as we go through the series, we, again, we may have those different views of end times, but there may be secondary issues. The Bible was not written so we could become experts of exactly how the second coming of Jesus will transpire. Rather, the Bible was written so that we could be ready when he comes. It, it, imagine this. Oh, we have this all figured out, all our eschatology figured out, all the end times figured out, but we aren't living right for him. I'm going to tell you right now, live right for him and it will pan out, right? What, what kind of, what kind of a pan, tribulationist are you? You're a pan-tribulationist. It will pan out in the end, right? We need to make sure that our heart is right, even though I believe the scripture is very clear of a pre-tribulational, and if that is like, I don't even know what that means, I'll explain that in just a moment. You know who are the experts on the first coming of Christ? Or who they thought was gonna be the first coming of the Messiah? The Pharisees. And they missed it. And they crucified the Messiah. May our hearts be right before we think we have all the fine points of speculation correct. We need to be holding, holding firmly what is clear in Scripture. Jesus is coming back, and he can come back at any moment. Again, I come from a pre-tribulation perspective. That is, Christ will come back, take up his church. In fact, we can, I think we can put a picture up here. Christ will come back. He'll take up his church. This is called the rapture. Uh, and this will precede seven years of wrath. So you can see this. There are going to be seven years of judgment before Christ comes back and judges the earth, okay? But, but what I see in Scripture is that Christ will take the church 
protecting believers, people that place their faith and trust in Christ. Okay, I'm not saying if you're just a church member, that's not what Christ is going to judge you by. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus personally? If you have, before the tribulation, I believe Scripture is teaching very clearly that he will take you up to him. And what many people don't realize is that when the second coming of Christ happens, those whom he took up with him, they will come down with him. The Lord's armies. And so uh, we see here that the tribulation or the rapture will happen before the tribulation. And then the tribulation, if we want to take a look at this, there's an overview of those seven years. Uh, a number of different judgments that you see in Revelation. I go in those in depth in a Revelation series. So just remember it goes like this, rapture, wrath, second coming, judgment, all right? Rapture, we go to him, wrath on the world, second coming, we come down with him, and then we do, the world is judged. So who will you follow as we lead up to the times of Jesus' second coming? I don't know when it will be, but we are closer than we will be uh, than we were yesterday, and what I want you to know is I do believe the signs of the times point we're closer than ever. You'll never get a date out of me. I can speculate behind uh, closed doors, but I'm probably wrong. What I'm not wrong is Jesus is coming back and he's coming soon. Who will you follow? Three things I want to look at this morning concerning the Antichrist. Number one is a drifting culture lays the foundation for a rising Antichrist. All right, a drifting culture lays the foundation for a rising up of the Antichrist. We are living today in a drifting culture. We're living today with a spirit that is anti to God, which means it's laying the foundation for one to rise up and rule during the seven-year tribulation. We are experiencing a cultural shift like we've never seen in our lifetimes, any of our lifetimes. Gallup recently put out an article that articulates the shift we are facing, all right? And the shift is this. To summarize the article, it says this. French sociologist Emily Durkheim wrote more than 100 years ago about the consequences of anomi in society, of anomi. Remember that word, remember that word, anomi. A term usually defined as normallessness. Basically, they were saying 100 years ago is what's facing society is we are losing normality or a situation in societies and social groupings that lack of agreement on norms of behavior, resulting in the breakdown of structure and disagreement on values and guidelines for behavior. The important takeaway, they quote, is when societies and social systems lose a sense of common agreement and when citizens of a society disconnect from structures and systems, the society can suffer negative outcomes such as crime, deviance, and depression. We here today burn down the systems, start over, and you wonder why there's crime. You wonder why there's depression. You wonder why people say, forget about authority. This was written 100 years ago, and Gallup is pointing it out. We are facing a society of anomi. Remember that word, anomi. We've seen this uh, change of view uh, amongst millennials, my generation, uh, and Gen Z, and it's trickled up to Gen X, and now even the baby boomers, where we are holding a, a know-me worldview, where everything is being questioned and everything is being redefined, whether it be sexuality or gender or the nuclear family. Or there's been a major shift in the trust of social structures and authority structures. Even the very concept of truth, which is, 
shifted from objective, observable deductions that inform our conclusions. It's moved to subjective feelings that can rewrite the very nature of history. Oh, yes, that is the reality we're living in today. Bottom line, all this is saying, God, you're an authority that I don't want. I'll become the authority. And we become small g gods living in a truth that we want to construct after we burn it all down. I want to tell you that is not of God. And one modifies the Jesus of the Bible and rejects him altogether. They allow subjectivity of standards rule their life. And they become a God to their own understanding. But this reliance of oneself will actually set the table, I believe, for an even greater deception. And that is the Antichrist. The Antichrist. The Apostle Paul, he warned the early church about such a cultural atmosphere that would arise and pave a way for this evil ideology and leader. He addresses, this, he addresses this in his second letter to the Thessalonians. So the previous two times I spoke, we were in 1 Thessalonians. Now he's in 2 Thessalonians. Uh, he thought he cleared everything up, but false teachers began to prophesy again, and he was like, again, right? L let me tell you something right now. Um, you know that nagging cough you have sometimes? There was like that 100-day cough, right? That's what the false prophecy was in, 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 uh, in the early church. They would correct false teaching, and the false teachers come back in again, and they'd have to correct it again over and over and over again. And there's nothing new under the sun that happens now. That's why we need to be students, and we need to be anchored in the word of God. And so we see here in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1, uh, Paul is addressing the error that the church believed once again they missed the second coming of Christ. And so they were literally sitting around and doing nothing. Their productivity went, woo, went down, okay? So this is what he says. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. So he's talking about the rapture, all right? He was very specific about this in 1 Thessalonians. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset or troubled. Don't buy into what they're selling is what he's saying. Either by a prophecy or by a message or by a letter supposedly from us. People are forging letters. Alleging that the day of the Lord, that is the second coming, has come. Do not let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's temple proclaiming that he himself is God. So Paul was saying that the end hasn't come yet. You want to know why? Because the, you will be raptured before this happens. What happens? We see here in verse 3, the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. The man of lawlessness, this is the Antichrist. The end would not come until after the Antichrist is revealed to the world, or excuse me, before the Antichrist is revealed to the world. And uh, before we discuss the Antichrist in more detail, I think it's important to talk about the lead up to this historical event that is yet to happen where an individual empowered by Satan will sit in the temple and literally take over the world, all right? So what is the lead up to this? Well, we see here, drifting culture leaves truth behind. It's a breakdown of truth. We will see a massive breakdown of truth before the Antichrist comes. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? We see the word in verse 3 as a descriptor of the Antichrist. Lawlessness. Lawlessness will precede the coming of the Antichrist, which will usher in a lawless individual who oppose all things related to God and his work 
and will do the will of Satan in himself. Now, here's the big takeaway. The Greek word Paul uses for lawlessness. Remember I told you to remember a word? The Greek word that Paul uses for lawlessness is anomos. It's where we get the word anomi. In the Gallup article, which they quote the philosopher from 100 years ago, when they said the breakdown of society is where anomi will become the norm, will normallessness becomes the norm, is the very name of the Antichrist. Lawlessness. Anomos. The breakdown in truth and how we see the world, each other, what we value, and how we do things sets the table for the future. Anomos is used in the New Testament nine times in six verses to describe someone who is without the law, specifically God's law. This word is used for someone who will willfully disregard and oppose the word of God. Now today, many rulers and individuals have this attitude, have this anti or opposed to attitude to the things of God. Anything we willfully do against the word of God is, is not from the spirit of God. The Bible calls it demonic. It's against God. Jesus said himself that we're either for him or we're against him. But we live in a culture today where people want it both ways. They want the benefits of following Jesus, but they also want the freedom to do whatever they want to do. We see this. We see people that are passionate about Jesus, but yet they want to do it whatever way they want to do it. Or we see people that don't want God at all. People want it their way. We want the spirit of the living God, but I don't want to give up my spirit. My spirit of whether you gossip or you get angry or you're jealous or you want whatever words to be able to come out of your mouth. You want to love your money. You want to love your stuff. Uh, you, you want to date however you want to date or, or relate to people how you want to relate to. You want to live for today. You want to refuse to talk about Jesus. You want the church just to be for you, right? You know, Burger King should be sued because I want you to know before Burger King came, the church had people in it that said, I want it my way, right? And I want you to know right now, you can't have it both ways. We want it God's way, right? We want it Jesus's way. And yet, we can't have it both ways. And when we do want it both ways and when we live a duplicit life, and listen, none of us are perfect. A lot of us mess up. But when we say, when we throw our hands in the air, it's like, I don't care. I'm doing what I want to do, right? That is living in the spirit of an antichrist attitude. Now, don't mishear me, all right? I'm not calling anyone in this room or online the antichrist, right? At least I don't think the antichrist is here, right? So, like, I'm not doing that, right? What'd you learn at church today? Well, Pastor Andy called me the antichrist, right? No, what I'm saying is this. We can have an attitude that is anti-to-Christ. And the Antichrist, capital A, will be the full encompassing of those feelings, emotional, emotions, and thoughts. And so we see the breakdown of truth as setting that table, as a drifting culture. Second thing, the way that culture is drifting and, and sets the table for the coming of the Antichrist is a breakdown of morality. Paul calls this in verse 3, he calls this apostasy. He calls this apostasy. Don't let anyone deceive you, verse 3, in any way, for that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. So apostasy precedes uh, the, uh, the reveal of the Antichrist. 
So Paul reminds his readers before the coming of the day of the Lord and the ruling of the Antichrist, apostasy would break out around the world. Now, apostasy is reserved primarily for people that once held to Jesus as the only way, that once held to the word of God and are no longer. Apostasy is usually reserved for that. Someone who had a biblical worldview and ethic and now is living by the worldview of culture and their ethic. There's always been people in history who have fallen into apostasy, including entire churches and denominations. But towards the end, apostasy will increase dramatically. It will be shocking. I think in some points, maybe we're just getting a taste of it today, there's points like, they're saying that? They gave that? That's not in the Bible. They're doing that? What? In the name of Jesus? Oh, it's happening. It's happening. People embrace a universal gospel where everyone gets to heaven, some people will say. Other people will embrace secular methods or remedies or terminology or post-truth thinking. It is a cancer that's spreading even in the evangelical church where everyone lives by their version of reality, rewriting history through the grid of whatever worldview they have been indoctrinated with recently. And Paul warned his apprentice Timothy that this will happen. He warned him just before his modernism that this will happen towards the end, 1 Timothy 3.1. But know this, hard times will come in the last days. Whenever you see the last days, he's, he's referring to just before the, the, the wrath of God and the second coming. Hard times will come in the last days for people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love, for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And here it is, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power, avoid these people. I've read this a number of times in our last passages, uh, uh, in, our, in our last messages, because this is one of the most explicit warnings of what the apostate mindset will look like for those that claim to be Christians. Apostasy is abounding, and it often masquerades as a passionate Christian or passionate for, for social justice maybe even, but the truth they are selling stands opposed to the word of God. Whether it's a secular postmodern humanism on one side or experiential Christianity that is a mix of paganism and the New Age movement. One side is it's all about the discovery they're making secularly and, and their humanistic uh, aha moments. The other is a mixture of Jesus and a little bit of like, that's not in the Bible. What? Let me read your aura and get these crystals. Yay, Jesus. Like, what? No, I'm sorry. That's from the New Age, all right? So we see a breakdown of morality. A drifting culture lays the foundation of a raising antichrist. Third thing we do is we see the lead-ups are, third thing we see is the breakdown of circumstances. Jesus talked about before the end we would experience labor pains. I've never experienced a labor pain. I did have a uh, gallbladder removal, and I'm told by uh, women who have had pregnancy and gallbladder removal, that's close, okay, so if that's anything like that, I, I feel your pain, all right? So, right, but uh, labor pains, right? Uh, they usually precede the actual event. You don't know if they're really the thing or not. Labor pains, Jesus talks about. He talked about before the end. We'd experience labor pains. What will be some of these labor pains? Oh, the first one is war and persecutions. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 6, you're gonna hear of wars and rumors of wars. 
You'll see uh, the abundance of false teachers. 1 Timothy 4.1, now the Spirit explicitly states that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons, through the hypocrisy of liars whose conscience are seared. Uh, we will see in the end times a false signs and wonders. Jesus said, for false messiahs and false prophets will rise and perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. There will be people with prophetic words or even supposed healings or visions that sound like God but are actually devoid of anything but God. We believe God, by the way, can do miracles. We pray for healings. We pray that God can, can speak afresh to us. We believe that God can move and do what he wants to do. And not only we don't want to be just passive and like, oh, did God do that? We want to be leaning in and active and saying, God, speak to us afresh today. But I want you to know, that there will be people that say they claim they heard from God. And it's a mixture of pagan and it's a, or, or, it's, or it's somebody that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. And we know here that when people give supposed uh, miracles, and we see this in the third world today, people are completely pagan will have these different miracles. I want you to know the enemy can counterfeit. The enemy can counterfeit and it will increase as the end comes. That's why we're, Paul told the Thessalonians to do not despise prophecies, but test the spirit. Test it against the word of God. So we see the coming of the Antichrist, there will be a drift. So who do you follow right now? Second thing, the Antichrist, will, when he comes, will oppose all things of the Lord. He will oppose all things of the Lord. Let's put the tribulation picture back up if we could, all right? So all of these series of judgments, we have three series of seven judgments, okay? This will occur after the rapture. After, this will occur after the rapture. Also after the rapture, the Antichrist will come to power. Which means, could the Antichrist be alive today? Yes, he could. He might not be. I don't know, right? People speculate. Is it this person? Is that person, right? We don't know. But you will know when the tribulation begins. Does that make sense? You will know when the tribulation begins. Again, as we see this timeline, the Antichrist will appear and come to power just after the rapture. The taking up of, of uh, believers before uh, God begins to judge uh, earth for seven years. When the church of true believers is removed from the earth, the working of the Holy Spirit will also be removed for a time. And this will leave open a wide open moment for deception and evil like this earth has never seen. Now remember, in the lead up to the great tribulation, there will be wars and rumors of wars. And after these wars, a man of peace will appear. He'll be a unifier. He'll bring hope to a confused world. He'll give answers. He will comfort the masses. He'll be loved. But it's all a facade, as its deception will run deep and oppose anything to do with God. The Antichrist will give an appearance at first, during the first three and a half years of the tribulation, he'll give an appearance of peace from all the chaos that led up to the tribulation. Just prior to the rapture, that is the taking up of the, of the true believers before God judges the planet for seven years, just prior to the rapture and the rise of the power of the Antichrist, a series of wars, I believe, will break out in and around Israel, all right? So these, if, if, if the rapture were to happen in our lifetime, we would see this, okay? And 
It's described in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. Now, I do realize there are some theologians that believe that this will only happen in the tribulation, not before, because it's spoken about again uh, in Revelation uh, chapter 20. But I believe those two events are separate. I believe the event that we read in Ezekiel 38 and 39 will come before the tribulation. What you read about in uh, Revelation 20, which seems similar to Ezekiel, will actually happen during the tribulation. Is, it is, there are two separate uh, occurrences. The book of Revelation uses Ezekiel's prophecy about uh, Gog and Magog to portray a final end times attack on the nation of Israel. Uh, what we see in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 about Gog and Magog, I'll explain that in just a moment, uh, is a lead up to the tribulation. All right? So let's go ahead and read this. Just before uh, Christ takes his church and before the rise of the Antichrist, we see a, a war, at least the beginnings of the war. I don't know if we'll make it all throughout this war. Maybe, maybe the precursor of the war will start in rapture. I don't know when rapture will happen during this, okay? Um, but this will be the precursor to the coming of the Antichrist. Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 2. Son of man, he's speaking to Ezekiel the prophet. So this was prophesied hundreds of years before Christ. Son of man, face Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Prophesy against them and say, this is what the Lord God says. Look, I'm against you, Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. I will turn you around and put hooks in your jaws and bring you out with your army, including your horses and riders who are all splendidly dressed, a huge assembly armed with large and small shields, and all of them brandishing swords. Persia, Cush, and Put are with them, all of them with shields and helmets. What's this all mean? The war against Israel, it's a war of, of all wars that they have faced up to this point, uh, just prior to the rapture, uh, will usher in. How will this usher in the Antichrist? Ezekiel prophesies that war will break out against Israel from a group from the north against Israel. This group of the north is called Gog and Magog, prince of Meshach. Many commentators believe the etymology of Meshach is where people translate Moscow. Now, that is speculation. I've went through tons of documents. Some people believe it was China. Some people, the area, the area that incorporates China, some Turkey. I'm pretty convinced from what I saw. In fact, there's even people hundreds and hundreds of years ago uh, in Kiev Rush, uh, that is today uh, Kiev in Ukraine, uh, that would support this translation as well from hundreds of years ago. So many commentators believe that Gog and Magog would be in the land that today is occupied by Russia. All right? We also see other nations that will come against Israel. Persia, that's modern-day Iran. Cush, that's modern-day Egypt. Uh, and Ethiopia, uh, in Ethiopia. Put, which is the North African nations. Um, we see in these prophecies, in modern times, uh, this war will go, these, these nations from Russia and the Arab nations, the modern-day Arab nations, will be invading Israel. And what's absolutely astonishing about this is Ezekiel gave this prophecy before Russia was a nation, or before there was even Islam, right? There was no Islamic countries. There was no Middle East dynamic like we know today. And yet, God is prophesying hundreds of years before Christ that this uh, big war was going to take place with nations today. We're like, yeah, that makes sense, right? But we notice from this prophecy in Ezekiel, Israel will win, it will shock the world, and it's because of God's supernatural hand that is upon them. Let's go to Daniel. Daniel's another Old Testament prophet. And this speaks to just after uh, this Gog and Magog war in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. 
Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. He will make a firm covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and offering. And the abomination of desolation will be a wing of the temple until the degree, uh, decree destruction is poured out on the desolator. Okay, this is what this means, all right? We're doing a deep dive uh, and things are like, that's weird, and you just move on in your devotional reading, right? These are really dynamic prophecies about the end. So Israel wins a, a war of wars, all right? Church is taken. The world is in shock, and it sets the table for peace. It sets the table for peace. So he, Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, he, that is the Antichrist, will make a firm covenant for Israel for one week. Now, in Daniel, one week equals seven years, okay? So we see this covenant is going to last the entire, supposed to last, the entire tribulation. That is the seven years after the, after the rapture of the church, the seven years of wrath that God will place on the earth before the end comes, all right? So the Antichrist is going to make a covenant, presumably with the entire world in Israel, for seven years. Again, clearly the tribulational period. With the church raptured and the Antichrist empowered by Satan and aided by a false prophet, he will slide the world into a one-world government and a worship system. After the rapture, false non-Bible-based churches will continue to operate. Can you think about that? World religions will continue to operate uh, at, at first, through the first three and a half years. But false gospel churches will be allowed to operate for a time. But over time, I believe they will exchange their warped view of God with a complete antichrist worship. During the war uh, that led up to the tribulation, I believe, that I believe, I could be wrong here, uh, I believe the Dome of the Rock will probably be destroyed. Okay, please don't strike us. Uh, well, okay. Um, and the Jewish temple will be rebuilt in Israel. There are some theories where the temple can be built right next to the Dome of the Rock. Why is that important? The Bible prophesies that the temple, a third temple, will be rebuilt but that's impossible today because the Dome of the Rock is on the foundation of the temple, which means either it needs to go away or somehow they can build right next to it. Um, I believe that in this war of all wars, that's probably when the temple will be rebuilt where the Dome of the Rock is today. This will fulfill many Old Testament prophecies. With the world at peace, the world will unify under the deception into a world government, a world currency, that will, be, uh, that will be unified through direct communications like never before. Uh, during this time, the tribulation, the Lord will begin his judgments against the world, but very few people will attribute the judgments to God's wrath as they will be under a great deception of the Antichrist. Now notice, so here is this time of peace after this great war, and it's going to last for, it's supposed to last seven years, but it's only going to last three and a half. Notice this, verse 27 it says, he will make a firm covenant for many for one week, that is seven years, but in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and offering. So he's telling Israel, hey, you can build your temple. And they're like, yay, Antichrist, right? And, and, and they're like, you're so nice, you're so benevolent, right? Yeah, he's doing it for a reason. He wants the temple not so that the Jewish people can do sacrifice. He wants it for himself. And so after three and a half years, that Israel restarted the sacrifices in the temple. He said, yep, by the way, covenant done. You can't do that anymore. You're not going to do that anymore. The Antichrist will break his covenant with Israel three and a half years into the tribulation, and he will demand worldwide worship. More on that in just a moment. 
Jesus speaks of this moment. He speaks of Daniel 9, 27, uh, when he was here on earth. And uh, we're actually going to unpack what Jesus has to say in the next couple weeks. Uh, but Jesus said this in Matthew 24, 15. Speaking of this moment where he breaks the covenant, where, where the Antichrist tears up the peace treaty and begins to demand worldwide worship, Jesus speaks to this. He says in Matthew 24, so when you see the abomination of desolation, again, a, quote, a direct quote here, what we see here uh, from Daniel 9, 27. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet of Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those in Judah must flee to the mountains. Head for the hills is what he's saying. For at the time there will be a great distress, the kind that hasn't taken place in the beginning of the world and now and never will again. Unless those days were cut short, no one would be saved. For those days will be cut short because of the elect. The Antichrist is going to betray Israel. And you know the moral of this story? You can't make a deal with the devil, all right? You can't make a deal with going, well, having it one way and, or both ways, right? I, I just want to, I want, I want God's way, but I want it this way. You're making a deal with the devil. And I just want to pause here for a moment. Now, that is the greatest uh, betrayal, right? They try to make a deal with the devil, and I'm like, you know, it's like when you're watching a show, and you have that, you have your eye on that one character, and like, they're going to betray them. And then finally, you know, 20 episodes later, I'm like, told you, why'd you do it, right? That's exactly what's happening here with Israel. The Antichrist betrays them and literally puts an end to all the worship around the entire world and says, he's, the, he's gonna be the one to be worshiped. And again, the moral of this is for us right now in the waiting. You can't make a deal with the devil. Whatever you're trying just to allow, like I'm gonna have a little bit of this, right? He, God wants your full allegiance because the devil will betray you. But God, he comes to give you rest. He comes to give you peace, real peace. And he gives you the endurance to get through what you're going through. Israel will be betrayed by the Antichrist as he shows his true colors. He will stand then in the temple that he allowed Israel to build. It wasn't about Israel getting back their, their sacrifices and their worship. He built this temple for himself. And he committed an abomination against God to stand in the temple and say, He is God. And now he can see, now we can see why, again, why he built the temple. He was going to take it for himself. And as a result, the people of Israel, they fled to the hills to survive. This will be a great time of distress, Jesus says, that Israel and the people of God have never seen. It will be terrible because the Antichrist will demand worship. I believe it's during this time that many in Israel's eyes will open and they will receive the Lord. I believe there will be a great revival amongst Israel as they're running for the hills. It's for the sake of the elect. You know, God calls, the, Jesus calls the church his elect. You know, he called the elect first? His people in Israel. And for the first time, since the Messiah came to the earth the first time, a revival of Israel will break out where they receive Jesus as king. But it's gonna be when the Antichrist demands worship. Others, I believe, who remembered uh, those who had, were previously raptured, I think the gospel will click with them in that moment. I believe you're going to see a revival, and it's going to come at their life. The Antichrist will stand in the temple, and he will declare he is God and ban any other worship that's not of him. Revelation 13, verse 3 says this. One of its heads, speaking of the Antichrist, appeared to be fatally wounded, but its fatal wound was healed. 
The whole earth was amazed and followed the beast. They worshiped the dragon because he gave authority to the beast. That is, that is, that is, a, that is Satan. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war against it? The beast given a mouth to utter boast and blasphemies. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It began to speak blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name, his dwelling, and those who dwell in heaven. The Antichrist standing in the middle of the temple, and I presume being broadcast all over social media, onto people's smartphones and watches and goggles. He's saying, worship me, only me. The world will be in awe. According to verse 3, the beast, why? Because according to verse 3, the beast will have been mortally wounded somehow, but then he will be healed. He won't be healed by the Lord. The appearance of healing will come from demonic power, counterfeit. And this will cause awe for the entire world. They're like, wow, he really is the one. And they will kneel down and worship the beast. And a demonic revival service will come. And a demonic revival will sweep across the earth. Because the object of worship will be the beast. He will cause a demonic deception across the world. The joining of currencies and governmental systems will set the stages for this. One world, and I assume the national anthem of the Antichrist will be, we are the world. Okay, I'm kidding on that one. All right, so. <laughs> we will speak, he will speak, blasphemy against God, and oppose anything biblical. And I speculate he won't be a, a horned with a pitchfork and people hate him. People are going to love him. They're going to love what he has to say about ethics. They're going to love about the freedom, whether it be the sexual or gender or relationship freedom or, or the killing of those who are not healthy or desirable freedom. Or, or, or the, the babies and old will not be honored in this freedom. People will get to do what they want to do. At least that's what they're thinking. And this will all seem moral and right to the world. The world will drink the Antichrist proverbial Kool-Aid. And he'll require the world to have a mark of allegiance it's called the mark of the beast. Uh, it, it's, it's described in the Bible as 666. Uh, this will be a, uh, some people presume, it'll be a microchip or it'll be a branding or it'll be a card. I don't know what it is, but it's a mark. It's a mark that we're required to travel, buy food, I believe bank, and anybody who doesn't have this mark or doesn't worship the Antichrist will be imprisoned or killed. And the worst thing is this. If you're to follow Christ in this season, the Antichrist will kill Christians. Revelation 13, 15. It was permitted to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast could speak and cause whatever, whoever would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Anyone who doesn't have the mark of the beast, according to Revelation 13, 15, will be killed. Anyone who's a Christian will be killed. There'll be a few that will make it out. We see that as they, as they uh, reach the time of Christ's second coming, but the majority, it will be their life. To be a follower of Christ in the tribulation most likely means death. Today, many people are killed for their faith, but during the tribulation, it'll be the far majority. Think about this. If you knew that following Christ meant it was at least the end of your means and maybe the end of your life, how many would walk out of this room this morning and be a follower of Christ? I hope it's all of us. But we've lived a life of comfort. We lived a life of preferences where we think the church is for us. No, we're here for Jesus. We live a life sometimes we think the mission's about us and 
and becoming whatever we want it to be. No, the mission is Jesus' mission, and he told us to go into the world and make disciples of Jesus Christ until when? Until he comes back. That's what this is about. And yet, people will be faced with losing everything following Christ. Would you comply with the mandates of the Antichrist? Would you defy uh, resulting in you not being able to buy things or ride transit or, or be wanted by the authorities? Would you stand for Christ if it would cost you everything? Too often we fight petty things. And it's weak in the church. Petty things. Not gospel things. Petty things. And I want you to know, reading this this morning should be a sobering wake-up call to all of our hearts. We are stewards, if you're a follower of Christ, with the mission of Jesus Christ. When we put that stewardship on the shelf and we go into business for ourselves and do what we want to do, I want you to know it's to our peril. The Lord wants us to follow him in all ways. He wants to be the Lord of our life. And church, what's beautiful about this, in the church age that we're living in now, we are the beautiful hands and feet of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's given us his word. He's given us his Holy Spirit that we can live not in our flesh, but in his power. And the gospel is the answer. The gospel will always be the answer. The gospel, how beautiful it is for the feet that bring good news. Amen, church? The gospel is now and will forever be good news. The gospel is the answer through the cross of Christ. It defeats sin and Satan and will lastly defeat the Antichrist. The Antichrist is already defeated by the gospel. At the end of the seven-year tribulation, a replay of Gog and Magog war will descend upon Jerusalem. Jesus, in this battle, returns with his armies, which consist of Christ, angelic beings, resurrected followers of Christ. If we are raptured before this happens, I want you to know right now, we coming back with Jesus and we're his army, right? And Jesus saves Jerusalem from destruction and defeats the one world armies fighting under the control of the Antichrist. And the Antichrist and the false prophet are captured and thrown alive in the lake of fire. Then I saw, Revelation 19, 20, the beast, the king of the earth and their armies and gathered together to wage war against the rider and the horse, against his army. But the beast was taken prisoner along with the false prophet who had performed the signs in its presence and he deceived those who accepted the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image with the signs. Both of them were thrown alive in the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. In Revelation chapter 20, we see Satan himself is thrown in the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. The spirit of Christ is alive today. He opposes the Antichrist. The gospel has already defeated the Antichrist and we get to live in the freedom of the Holy Spirit to live in the spirit of freedom in Christ. So who will we follow? John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, that means die spiritually, but have everlasting life. In Christ, you are victorious right now. Right now. Isn't that something to celebrate? Right now. So who will you follow? Who will you follow? Father, we love you and we thank you. We thank you that we don't have to worry about the end. We just need to be ready. We need to be walking in your power and your strength and in your truth. And Father, I pray right now that we would not uh, contribute to the spirit of the Antichrist, but that we would contribute to the spirit, the Holy Spirit that sets captives free. So Father, I pray for anybody in this room right now that doesn't know you. 
that they would come to know you right now. In fact, as we continue to pray, uh, with all our heads bowed, eyes closed, I want to talk to anybody in this room right now. If you have not given your life to Jesus, I want you to know that right now you can claim his victory in your life. How do you do that? It's acknowledging that God created you to have a relationship with him. It's acknowledging, though, that you have a broken relationship with Jesus. You have sinned and you've done wrong. But the good news is this. Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago to die on the cross, to stand in your place, to take on the wrath of God on himself so that you wouldn't have to experience it. Jesus Christ went to the cross, paid for every single one of your sins, past, present, future. Three days later, he rose from the dead, defeating sin and death and giving you the opportunity to receive eternal life. So how do you receive this? Talk to Jesus right now saying, Jesus, I'm placing my faith and trust in you alone. I want to give you my life. Here it is. I want to receive you into my life. Just tell him that. Talk to him. Because when you do that, the Bible says you are born again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Tell him, Lord, I want you in my life. I place my faith and trust in you alone that you died on the cross. You rose from the dead. I am in. With every head's bowed and eyes closed on the count of three, if that was you today, you gave your life to Jesus, just slip up that hand, count of Count of three, one, two, three. Slip that hand up high and say, yep, that's me today. I'm giving my life to Jesus today. Thank you. I'm giving my life to Jesus today. Lord Jesus, I pray for those that are giving their life to you. Lord Jesus, I pray that they would begin to live this life new. God, I pray for our church. I pray that we would be ready. That God, that we would be on mission. And that God, our focus on the gospel would never Take home real quick. Make sure you're in the faith. Live in the truth of the word. Get and grow on mission. Serve in the mission. I love how the expo's next week. And give to the mission. All right? Take a picture of that. All right? Make sure you are in the faith. Live in the truth of the word. Get and grow on mission. Serve in the mission. Give to the mission. We serve an amazing God, don't we? We serve a, 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 a Jesus Christ who abounds in love and mercy and kindness. Then when we wanted nothing to do with him, he died for us. Man, isn't that humbling? Isn't that amazing? I think a proper response is let's stand to our feet and let's sing our lungs out to him. All right, church, if you need prayer today, we have our prayer banner back there. We have a prayer team, and they would love to pray for you for anything that's going on in your life. And you know what? I think specifically to the person today that there's just something lagging, that there's something that just hasn't been clicking, and it just, they want the Lord to intervene in it. I want you to go get prayer today, okay? For anybody that needs prayer, but specifically that as well, too. All right, let's stand. Let's sing our lungs out. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.